Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. This week's episode is part one in another of our little mini-series we like to sprinkle into our episode feed. And we are very excited about this series topic. Mm -hmm. We're delving into scientific journal articles to uncover the effect music has on humans. In this part one, we're going to start off with one of the most famous scientific theories out there that you've probably heard of, the so-called Mozart effect. Let's jump right in. So, just what is the Mozart effect? Well, in 1993, a scientific paper by Francis H. Rocher et al. titled Music and Spatial Task Performance was published in the journal Nature. This paper detailed a small experiment that was performed on undergraduate students. They were split into groups of 36, and for 10 minutes each group listened to either Mozart's sonata for two pianos in D major, a guided relaxation tape, or silence. Following the treatments, the students then performed a standard Stanford-Binet IQ test that is designed to measure spatial reasoning. This test and others that are like it often provide participants with things like images of a paper being folded and cut, and then participants must select the image of what the paper would look like when it's unfolded. So tasks like that. The results from this modest study were that the group that listened to Mozart scored higher on the test. However, the results were transient, lasting for only about 10 to 15 minutes following the treatment. So that sounds great, right? However, The media does what the media does, and got a hold of the study, and made some serious leaps with no relation to the original hypothesis. Press releases claimed listening to music improved overall intelligence, and went on to wildly theorize that listening to Mozart from a very young age, or even in the womb, would provide tremendous intellectual improvements throughout a person's life. Of course, these hypothetical claims caught the public's attention. In one extreme case in 1998, the governor of Georgia proposed a bill that would provide funding to give every child born in the state a tape or CD filled with Mozart music. So while we here on the coffee house do wish more children showed an interest in classical music, the point is this modest study was blown far out of proportion beyond its possible conclusions. So let's talk more about practical follow-ups to this study. In subsequent years, many other labs have tried to validate the Rauscher lab's results. Some labs have tried pitting Mozart against Albinoni, pop music, Philip Glass, and spoken word. And while there have been some results that showed similar transient improvement on a spatial IQ test, more often than not, the results are not replicable or do not support the hypothesis for a given study. For example, in the study that pitched Mozart against Albinoni, the participants did do better on the test when they listened to Mozart. However, what this study also looked at was the levels of arousal and mood, so basically how hyped the participants were following a given treatment. It was found that the participants were more positive and upbeat following the Mozart pieces than the Albinoni. 
However, it was also described that the Mozart piece had a faster tempo and was in a major key, while the Albononi was slower and more minor. So it was put forth that the Mozart effect is really more of an arousal effect. This was further categorized in a study that had participants listen to Mozart or a short story by Stephen King. In this case, participants underwent both conditions sometime apart from each other and were asked which treatment they preferred. When this data was analyzed along with the scores of the IQ test, it was found that when people prefer listening to Mozart, they did better following that condition and vice versa, thus creating not only a Mozart effect, but also a Stephen King effect, if good scores were achieved after listening to the preferred story rather than music. Hence, evidence was shown that the arousal effect of listening to something before an IQ test also has to do with if the thing you're listening to is your preference. This was further investigated in a study where participants listened to Mozart or to Philip Glass's music with changing parts, which is a modern minimalist composition. In this study, participants were asked about their preference, arousal, and mood, and often reported feeling anxious following listening to the Glass work versus the Mozart work. We'll put a YouTube link in our episode description for the glass piece so you can experience it for yourself and maybe see how you feel. In this study, it did show that participants performed better following listening to the Mozart rather than the glass, but as discussed previously, it is likely due to their mood rather than the actual act of listening to the music or the nature of the music. A study of elementary school children who were learning to read had them listen to Mozart or a popular children's song without words while reading, and then they took a reading comprehension test. This study showed the children were more likely to do better on the test if listening to the popular song versus Mozart. When questioned, the children reported they liked the popular song better than the Mozart piece, again suggesting preference of the auditory stimulus is more important for producing a positive effect. Yet another proposed theory of why Mozart music is superior to producing the Mozart effect is its complexity. Now this is an interesting proposal, because depending on how music is analyzed, one could argue that the glass piece is actually more complex than the Mozart due to its intertwining rhythms and unique sound, while Mozart might sound more familiar to the general public. Additionally, there have been no studies that have provided a way to categorize music as sufficiently complex or not to produce a given Mozart effect. As a side note, when I was an undergrad, I would often study while listening to music, and one of my preferred background soundtracks actually was Philip Glass's album Etudes for Piano, Volume 1. However, this is not quite as alarming sounding as his music with changing parts. And I find that listening to complex music such as Mahler or Mozart while I'm trying to study or focus on something else actually distracts me from the task at hand, since I'm more interested in focusing on the Mahler piece and trying to suss out interesting parts of that and really listen critically. One additional factor some meta-analyses of Mozart effect studies look at are the procedures labs use to instruct their participants. It has been found that labs that often produce positive results in favor of the Mozart effect ask the participants to pay close attention to the music, suggesting they will answer questions about it later. However, other labs that might not show a Mozart effect might just play the music in the background with no instruction for participants to fully engage with listening. 
This would suggest that the Mozart effect might involve more of a brain warm-up before the IQ test administration. In that case, any pre-test test might produce the same type of enhanced result. So, is there really such thing as the Mozart effect? To quote a paper by Lois Hetland, quote, Yes, there is. It is limited, however, to a specific type of spatial task. So, we can't construe that listening to Mozart will make you better at, say, chemistry or spelling. Based on the research, we also can't say it's just Mozart that will help with a spatial task, and we also can't tell you why it might help at all. Now you might be saying, but I've heard for years that music does make you smarter. To a degree, it might. Studies that are tangentially related to the Mozart effect look at how highly trained musicians can focus on tasks and recognize patterns, and also how children receiving music lessons perform on IQ tests. One such study showed that musicians who were students full-time in a conservatory setting or were professional musicians had better attention to a given task. The task that was being tested was determining differences in the directions that a set of arrows were pointing. And not only were the musicians able to focus on the task better than the non-musicians, but they also identified the differences quicker and with more accuracy. In a study where a researcher was able to assign specific children to have music lessons, drama lessons, or no additional lessons for a year, it was found that those who received music lessons had significantly more improved IQ scores after the year than the other groups, however the children who had received the drama lessons had better social skills. This study suggested it might not necessarily be due to the lessons being music in particular. They say the act of simply going to school has obviously shown to improve IQ scores throughout years. They suggest that music lessons might serve as an additional school-like setting, so the benefit of receiving just additional instruction aids in the raising of the IQ scores. The authors suggest that the drama classes might not have been sufficiently school-like since they involve dressing up and to a degree improvisation, and that's more like play than school. They also suggest that more research would have to be done as they hypothesize that other after-school activities, in addition to music lessons, could yield these same IQ-enhancing effects such as chess club, debate teams, etc. So what all does this mean for the fate of classical music? Should we all just stop listening to it and instead just take music lessons? Well, no. Researchers are careful to warn that these effects are relatively minor in the grand scheme of things. As we discussed, the Mozart effect itself, even when labs successfully demonstrated it, only lasted for about 10 minutes. And taking even a year of music lessons for a modest gain in IQ is a significant investiture of both time and money. And really, the point of music is to be an enjoyable pastime meant to enrich your life. Looking at it solely as a way to enhance brain power, in a, in a sense, using it incorrectly. So, I guess overall, what we're advocating here on The Coffee House is keep listening to music, playing music, appreciating music in that same way that you always have. If it does end up helping your brain in some way, then that's just a fabulous added benefit to whatever natural enjoyment you do get out of it. And also, importantly, be mindful of misconstrued scientific information. A single small study shouldn't be enough to change the world overnight. The scientific process, as we see, involves testing, retesting, validation, critical assessment, and much failure 
along the way. However, we hope that we haven't failed you this week on the Coffee House as we've brought you this kind of new endeavor with our science and music crossover. And if you have enjoyed it, drop a like on our episodes or a follow on Spotify, receive us reviews on iTunes and Google Play, and consider sharing us with a friend or family member who might also be interested. For the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Mozart's Sonata for Two Pianos in D Major was performed by Pavali Jampenin and Elaine Ho. You can find The Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Music